Hey everybody, it's Danny. I want to say thank you for tuning in to the Heartway Podcast. And I want to give a special thanks to those of you who are tuning in from really all over the world. We're so grateful that you are a part of our community and that you listen in on an ongoing basis. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, I want to ask you to share this with a friend. You never know the impact that one of these messages can have in another person's life. And if you yourself have been impacted and you'd like to continue to partner with us to keep this work going, Check us out at heartwaychurch.com slash give. Every dollar that you give goes a really long way towards helping us do what it is that we do. Well, we love you. Really hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day. I don't think I can say it better than what was just shared up here, but something that did resonate with me and that I had been thinking a lot about was, you know, when these moments come or these holidays, right, Mother's Day, Father's Day, sometimes it can be very challenging for us, especially if we didn't experience what a father was supposed to be or do or what a mother was supposed to be or do. And sometimes it can become very challenging for us because we almost feel like we missed out, right? And Cliff said something that was exactly it. We do have a father. We have the creator with us at all times. And this creator is making us, is allowing us to feel safe because we're being divinely guided at all times, right? He already instilled everything that we need. In our hearts, we have all of his love and that's the true essence of our beings. So sometimes we start to think that we're in lack of, but rather we just need to go within and see all that we already have, the abundance, the love, the worth, right? We're always searching outside for that acceptance. We're always searching outside of ourselves for that reassurance. It's already inside of you because your creator, the creator, like Liv said, our father, he already put that inside of us. He created us with that. So I want all of us to take a moment and to allow ourselves to just let that sink in, to really release all the illusions or the thoughts that you've already had on this day and just let God speak to your soul. Let him fill you up. Let him love you for the child that you are to him. All right, so we're gonna close our eyes and we're going to Take a nice deep breath, slowly inhaling nice and big. Allow the belly to expand and then vocally exhale. Again, let's slowly inhale nice and big, really filling ourselves up. One more time together. Inhale nice and slow. Vocally. As you continue this breathing, allow the shoulders to come down. Allow the body to start to relax. Allow the mind to drift far away. In this very moment, We are free, 
nothing that happened before this moment matters now. We allow our breath to keep us here in this present moment. We allow it to ground us into God's love. We release all of our doubts, all the frustrations that we might have, all the worries. We let them all go. And instead, we welcome God's peace and his grace. As we open ourselves up, we start to create this space within ourselves. As we remove all the unserving energy, we've created this space now so that God can fill us up. Filling you up with all that you deserve. Reminding you of your wholeness, of your worthiness. Reminding you that you are his child, that you are protected, divinely guided, and oh, so loved. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past, and there is nothing you can do in the future to remove this love. This is inherently yours, but you see the kingdom is not after we pass, but rather now, if we open ourselves enough, if we wake up to God's truth, his kingdom, heaven is waiting for you right outside, right beneath your feet. Allow this truth to settle deep within you Allow it to remind you that you can consciously decide at any time to let go, to let go of that which does not serve you, to forgive what's been done. You can consciously decide to see life through the lens of love, to truly see yourself for the miracle that you are, full of purpose, full of love, are the greatest thing that God has created for he created you in his image with endless possibilities 
honor your father by honoring yourself, by honoring who you truly are at your essence, by not playing small, but reaching and experiencing all that God has for you. You are the gift. Take another deep breath, slowly inhaling nice and big. Vocal. Again, we slowly inhale as much as we can. Hold it for one, two, Vocal. Bring your palm to your heart. Feel the heart beating. You're alive, full of purpose. You are not here on accident. God wanted you here. God has a plan for you. He is with you. You are never alone. Live life through this beat, through this heart that is so connected to God. And you will see how this life is truly a wonder. You will start to see life as the miracle that you are. You will see all the beauty that there is. Silently repeat, I am loved. I am worthy. I am powerful. I am limitless. I am a child of God, and that's all I ever need to be. Slowly release your palm. Take a gentle inhale through the nose, and then slow exhale. When you're ready, gently bring the awareness back. Blink the eyes open. May peace and love always be with you. I love you so much, Hartway. Good morning, family. Happy Sunday. So I was leaving uh, the gym earlier uh, in the week, and there was a guy that was selling like some of his sauces. I don't know, like hot sauce and stuff. I bought some hot sauce, and it was phenomenal. I loved it. So I let my mom try some. And she's like, oh, where can we get more of this? And I was like, you can't. It's like homemade. You got to go directly to the guy. You know, and there's something about, I don't know if it's like this for you, but for me, if like a meal is homemade, it's different, right? Because it has like love in it. <laughs> Somebody earlier this week was like, Danny, I just, 
I got to tell you the messages that you share, what you guys are doing at Heartway, it touches me. It's been helping me so much. And I said, I'm really glad to hear that. It comes from my heart. So I want you guys to know that what we do here, everything from top to bottom, comes from our heart, made with love from us to you. And I'm grateful that you're here with us this morning. Oh, you know the guy who sold me the sauce? Wow. Wow. Shout out to Holly. Always coming through. Let's go. A lot of perks that come from doing this, you know? Got the hookup. So I want to talk to you today about having a heart of compassion. Several years ago when I was... 2021. I was just starting out in ministry. I just got an ordained. I was working at a mega church. I was having some issues with one of my coworkers, and I always felt like this person was looking down on me because of my youthfulness. And so, oftentimes, I would feel like I was bullied and intimidated, and I felt like this person would be condescending towards me at times, and it was really uncomfortable. I didn't know what to do. At that point, I was definitely avoiding conflict to the max, and so I would just bottle up all of my feelings and emotions. And so one day, I I had enough of it, because the thing about bottling up your emotions is you can only do that for so long, and then the big monster comes out, and you're like, what, I thought Danny was a nice guy. You know, so, but that, that was, how the old Danny used to be. And so I I was getting to that boiling point, and so I talked to a a pastor friend of mine, and I was sharing all of my frustrations about the way that this person was treating me. And after I finished my whole spiel, my pastor friend looks at me and he says, you know, everybody has a story. I'm like, what? What do you mean everybody has a story? I got very defensive. I'm like, I'm the victim here. I'm the one that's being mistreated. What about my story? Like, do you not care? What, what, what is your problem? What do you mean everybody has a story? And this person started to kind of fill in the gaps and, and share with me a couple of things that um, he has uh, learned about this other individual and their life and what has gotten this person to get to this point. And somehow... I would call it a miracle because it really is a miracle when compassion arises within a human soul. But I started to feel compassion towards this person who had been mistreating me. And when the reality sank in that he has a story too, it was like I was able to rehumanize him in that moment. And what happens to a lot of us when we're dealing with difficult people Our first inclination is we want to fix them, we want to judge them, or we want to put them in their place, or we want to criticize them, or we take everything that they do personal. We really want to just change them. But when you operate from a place of compassion, you see a much bigger picture than what's happening simply in the moment. You see beyond just the surface of people's words and actions to the core of where those words and actions are arising from. And the number one way to become compassionate is by recognizing your own baggage. 
People who are not compassionate are people who are blinded to themselves. Because when you are aware of your stuff, when you know your issues and you realize where all of them come from, those unmet needs that you have within yourself that cause you to act out in ways that are harmful towards other people, when you're aware of your own baggage, it becomes a lot easier to show compassion to other people because you've been there. You know what it's like. And I'm not talking about the fake condescending kind of compassion because you know how it is sometimes. People will be like, oh my God, you know what? I just, I feel sorry for her. I feel sorry for him. Okay, I, like I feel so bad for him because no, that, that's fake compassion. That's fake compassion. Okay, what'd you say? No, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> it's on YouTube, guys, okay? <laughs> so that's the fake compassion. No, real compassion is recognizing that when people hurt people, it's because they've been hurt too. And you can look at another person and say, I know how much it hurts to act out like this because I've been there. I've been that hurt too. I've lashed out on other people too because of all the emotions that I've been bottling up, all the stuff that I haven't dealt with. I know how painful that is because I've been through this journey of discovering myself and showing love and compassion to myself and understanding myself. Now I can understand you too. Every single human being is carrying around a whole bunch of heartache and trauma and pain and suffering. All of us are dealing with internal battles that other people have no idea about. And what I've come to see is that people's reactions have less to do with you and more to do with what they've been through. There is always a why behind the what. Nobody just wakes up in the morning and says, I want to be vindictive. I want to get mad. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to treat everybody bad. I mean, maybe some of y'all weirdos do, but, you know, like the truth is we become this way because of life. Life is tough. Life is hard. That's why I like uh, my friends own a cookie shop and their, their slogan is life is hard. Eat a cookie. <laughs> really, life is hard. Be nice to people. Life is hard. And so if we're going to stop this cycle of hurt people hurting people, it begins by showing compassion. And compassion is about understanding that we all struggle. We all struggle. So instead of regarding people on the basis of what they do or don't do, it's better to regard people on the basis of what they have suffered. And when you bring that understanding to the table, now you can show love even when love isn't being shown to you. And it is a powerful thing to be able to do that. Years ago, I was invited to uh, Morocco. It was pretty, pretty dope. I was able to fly business class, paid for. It's my first and last time ever that that happened. I mean, I was, I was enjoying it, man. It was great. It was paid for by... Uh, some government over there, I don't know, the people that were inviting us, right? And this was a symposium of rabbis, pastors, and imams 
that were being brought together. How I ended up in this room, I don't know, because it's a lot of influential people. But one of the pastors that helps run all of this took a liking to me over the years, and we've had a relationship from my days when I was uh, a Southern Baptist, and I was connected to that world. Anyway, so we got flown out to just kind of get together and dream about what it would look like to team up and bring about change in our local communities. So we were paired up in, in triads, okay? So it was one pastor, one rabbi, one imam from each major city that they selected. And part of the retreat was getting to know each other. So we would do different exercises. One of those exercises involved all of the rabbis, imams, and pastors getting in a room, and we had this big old white sheet, and we wrote on it how we see ourselves and how we want others to see us and how we think others see us. Okay, so here's how we see ourselves. Here's how we want others to see us. Here's how we think they see us. Speaking specifically of like the imams, what do they think about the pastors? The rabbis, what do they think about the imams? B vice versa. And oh my, when we started sharing with each other, the, the fear, the fear that you can taste, the judgment that you can taste. So we started to share our stories. One of the exercises involved us going into small groups and talking about our calling into ministry, which I thought was really just like a Christian type of lingo and language. But the imams had their stories. The rabbis had their stories. And we were able to build such camaraderie because of the commonality that we shared with one another. And after that entire experience, we were tasked with the responsibility of having dinner with one another and inviting each other over one another's homes as clergy to get to know one another and then to do community service projects together. We've done a couple of community service projects together over the years. I would love to do more. But one thing that we have been consistent with is inviting each other over one another's home to have dinner. And can I tell you, the more that we have shared our stories with one another, the more these barriers have come down. To the point where what initially started as a pretty uncomfortable situation where we had judgments towards one another and preconceived notions and assumptions about each other. Now we are the closest of friends. All because of our willingness to share our story. And now compassion is the bond that brings us together. There's a reason why. Jesus was always eating with people. That was literally his vehicle. Why are you laughing? Because you know I like to eat. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so messed up, man. Everybody got jokes today. <laughs> so I, as I read the Gospels, I believe that one of the most intentional things Jesus did to transform society was eat with people who were not like him, to break down those social political barriers that we have with one another by just getting to know another human being. 
There's uh, one psychologist by the name of Carl Jung who says, know all of the techniques. He's speaking to other like therapists and psychologists. Know all the techniques. Know all the methods to help other people. But when you're with another human soul, just be a human soul. Human to human, heart to heart connection. It's interesting because this week in the gym, and this is funny, and I realize as I'm going to say this to you, you know, it's hypocritical because I do this too, okay? But I noticed this specifically this week because compassion has been on my mind. So this week I'm in the gym, and one of the trainers of the gym walks right by me, and she says, hey, how are you? And keeps walking right past me. And I'm like, good, I can't even like, <laughs> have you noticed? How often we do this to one another as human beings? We're like, hey, how are you? Awesome. Bye. And we don't, it's like, what? Do you actually care how I am? And I do this all the time too. It's like, hey, how you doing? Walk right past you. Don't even want to hear your answer. <laughs> Compassion is, is how are you, like for real? Like really taking an interest in other people. Really wanting to be there for them. Really listening. Really showing concern. That's compassion. One of my favorite passages of scripture in the Gospels, and you'll read it here in the book of Matthew, is when Jesus says, if you're, if you're at the altar, if you're worshiping in a temple, and you bring your gift, but you remember that a brother or a sister has something against you, not even you have something against them, if they have something against you, you might as well leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to that person. Then you come and offer your gift. Why? Because the real test of your spiritual depth is how you treat other people. Point blank, period. And you can treat people well, and you can treat them with kindness, and they may not even notice it. They may be totally unaware of all the times that you held back when you really wanted to say something, when you sacrificed for them, when you went out of your way to do something for them. They may not even notice it. But your job is to do all you can to be at peace with all people. If you do all that you can, now you have a clear conscience. Now you have your integrity. And reconciliation takes two people. Right? So you can have a heart to want to reconcile with someone, and it's not possible because it takes two people and that other person is not ready. But it is our responsibility as people who walk with God to take the initiative in fixing those problems and restoring those relationships, even if we're not the ones who created the conflict in the first place or who have a problem with the other people. It is for us to do all that we can to be at peace. Why don't we do this? Why is this reconcil reconciliation so hard? Because oftentimes before things get better, they have to get a little worse. Reconciliation tends to involve some sort of conflict because you got to be honest. you got to put things out there about how you feel. And I heard that this week. Conflict delayed is conflict that is perpetuated. And I have learned that from my experience. Right? You can try and avoid conflict all you want, but the more you avoid it and you don't really hit on the issue, that just leaves more and more time and room for assumptions and judgments to build and build and build and build. 
And now both parties are so far removed from reality because of all the guessing and assuming that has had to be done because truth-telling was not done. Conflict delayed is conflict that is perpetuated. And a lot of our conflict, at least the conflict that I've noticed in my life, comes from misunderstanding. The way it works for me is I know if I cannot look at another person with eyes of love, it's because there's some sort of misunderstanding within me. I must not really understand them. But a lot of times we're already settled on how we think and feel about other people and we don't even want to understand them. We already have decided who they are on the basis of what we think they've done. We already have our judgments. We already have our preconceived notions. This is who they are. And we don't even want to understand. But compassion is about being willing to understand where other people are coming from. It's been said before that the best way to destroy an enemy is to make them into a friend. Think about that for a moment. It's a possibility, but it takes a high level of self-awareness, emotional intelligence, and interpersonal skills to be able to turn an enemy into a friend. But when Jesus said, love your enemies, he meant that. And there's a good reason for it, too. Love your enemies. Turn your enemies into friends. It also takes a lot of self-control to do that. And by the way, compassion breeds self-control. Because when you're compassionate towards other people, now you don't take everything that they say and do so personally anymore. So you're less reactive. Because you see the woundedness out of which people are acting from. And it causes you to want to be empathetic and kind. Look at this uh, wonderful quote from a, a Zen teacher. He says, ill treatment by opponents is a catalyst for your meditation. Insulting reproaches you don't deserve spur your practice onward. Those who do you harm are teachers challenging your attachment and aversion. How could you ever repay their kindness? <laughs> Indeed, you are unlikely to make much spiritual progress if you lack the courage to face your own hidden faults. Any person or situation that helps you to see those faults, however uncomfortable and humiliating it may be, is doing you a great service. I had somebody recently uh, said something to me, and I had a desire to get defensive. I was like, whoa, okay, ego. Where'd that come from? Right? This person said, Danny, you sugarcoat things too much. And at first I really wanted to defend myself, and then I took a moment to pause and find the truth in that statement. Because your critics are telling you the truth if you're willing to look for it. And if you can find even the kernel of truth in what others say. See, humility does not oppose anything. Say, Danny, you sugarcoat things. Let me, can I find 
a time and a place when I've sugarcoated things, maybe to a fault. Because I realize it's also a strength. I'm really good with people. And part of that is because I know what to say and when not to say it, and what not to say and when to say it and when not to say it. And there's an art to that. But also you can sugarcoat things to a fault where now you don't say the truth when the truth needs to be spoken. Because you want to be liked or you want to prove or you want to keep the peace, but it's a false peace. It's not, it's not a real peace. And I, I've, I've messed up in this area. I know that. Right? So this person said that to me. I found the truth in it. And then I was really able to say, what a kindness. Thank you for bringing that to my awareness. Someone, I heard someone say, you know, Danny's not a genuine guy. I started thinking, man, have there been times when I haven't really been genuine? I can, I can actually, I can find some times maybe when I haven't been. Why am I going to argue with the things that people say about me? Why would you argue with it? You find the, find the truth. Find the truth in it. And be compassionate. Something that's beautiful about implementing this spiritual practice of showing compassion is that it begins to widen your circle of concern from just your own individual needs to the needs of those around you, to the needs of your community, and to the needs of the world. Look at uh, what this passage of scripture says in the book of Philippians. Do nothing out of selfishness or conceit, but with humility, humility. Mm. Consider others as more important than yourselves, looking out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Don't neglect your own needs and interests. There's a time to put your needs in front of other people's needs. Absolutely. And there's also a time to put other people's needs in front of your own needs. Don't just look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. The problem is we live in a society that is so self-absorbed, so self-absorbed, that if a problem doesn't affect us directly, we don't care. And especially in the world of religion and spirituality, spirituality has become so commercialized and commodified. That you have entire churches that are more interested in building their empire than building the kingdom of heaven. And we see this all the time, too, even on Instagram. Spirituality is now a business, and that's fine. There's a part to that where that's okay. You know, there's, but the heart, what is the heart? What is the intent? That's something that only you know for yourself. That's something only that you can acknowledge and identify. But it's very possible to make this whole spirituality thing all about us. And we forget about those who Jesus referred to as the least of these. Those that society has disregarded and forgotten. And those are the ones that count. In the Jewish tradition... They have this form of creative storytelling known as midrash. And so when rabbis, ancient rabbis, would read the scriptures and they would see a lot of gaps in, in the stories, they would create their own stories to try and fill in those gaps. Okay, An example of this that I want to share with you today is about Abraham. 
Abraham was considered to be the father of the nation of Israel. And the rabbis, as they would read the story of Abraham, started to ask themselves the question, why did God select this man? Like, why would God choose him? He wasn't perfect by any means. He had a lot of issues, which, by the way, pause button. This is one of the things I actually love about the Bible. As much as I've branched out and I've read spiritual texts from all different kinds of traditions, in the Bible, the heroes are purposefully shown to be flawed. You go to... I've read a lot of these texts of the yogis and, the, and they're gods. They're literally, they're, they're gods on earth. Even Jesus in the New Testament is very human. And they make it a point to show he's very human. Because we're all human. That's the root of compassion. You have to recognize I'm a human being and I've got issues. I've got problems and that's okay. As, and I, and as I come to learn and integrate and accept that part of me and love myself through my screw-ups, I can begin to do the same for other people. Back to regular scheduled programming. <laughs> they asked, the rabbis asked themselves, why did God choose Abraham? And so they, they created this midrash, this story. And they said, once there was a man who was walking down the road and he saw a palace that was burning on fire. And this man looked at the fire and said, what is going on here? And he did all that he could to, to gather help and to try and do something about the fire. And then he said out loud to himself, is there not an owner of this house? Who is the caretaker of this house? Next thing you know, the owner reveals himself from inside the house and says, I am the owner. I'm the caretaker. Now go and do something. The rabbi said, in the same way, when Abraham saw the fires in this world, the fires of inequality, the fires of injustice, the fires of poverty, the fire of violence and lack, he did not simply walk past the fire. He stopped. He noticed. He showed concern. And God then revealed himself as the sovereign of the universe, the caretaker of the world, and then says, now you go forth and be a blessing on my behalf. How many times have we just walked past the fires in this world simply because it doesn't affect us? It doesn't touch us. We're so self-absorbed. We only are concerned with our own interests. And a lot of us, of course, we like to pray. And prayer is important. But if you're going to pray for the hungry, feed them too. Right? If you're going to pray for the violence to stop, you do something about it too. If you, if you want to pray for injustice to come to an end, well, you start walking justly. You, you pray and then you act. That's how it works. Compassion doesn't just walk past the fire. You go into it. And you get your hands dirty. And most people, they rather not. They rather not. But the family of God, that's why we're here. Literally. In the Jewish tradition, they have this phrase, tikkun olam. It means repairing the world. That, that, that's their mission. We partner with God to repair the world, to bring healing and wholeness into the world. Look at this quote from Henry Nouwen, a wonderful Catholic priest. 
He said, compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. Are you guys familiar with the story of Job? Job, really righteous guy. He did everything by the book, has this wonderful family. Next thing you know, it's all taken from him. Everybody dies. He gets super sick. He starts getting mad at God. Like, what's going on? I was doing everything the right way. And then his friends start telling him, oh, no, no, maybe you weren't really righteous, bro. Maybe you are a fake. You know, maybe you just really screwed up and now God is cursing you to show you a lesson because you really messed up. And Job actually defends his case before his friends. And it's, it's fascinating to me how Job defends his righteousness. And I want to show you this. Because a lot of us, when we think about what it means to be righteous and walk with God, it's like, don't even think about sex. Don't, don't, you know, curse. Don't drink or do drugs. And then you're good. You know, as long as you got those, those, those key things, you're, you're, you're holy, you're righteous, and, and you're good. Right? All the external. Only the external. Look at, but look at how Job defines righteousness. Have I refused to help the poor or crush the hopes of widows? Have I been stingy with my food and refused to share it with orphans? No, from childhood I've cared for orphans like a father. And all my life I've cared for widows. Whenever I saw the homeless without clothes and the needy with nothing to wear, did they not praise me for providing wool clothing to keep them warm? My servants have never said he let others go hungry. I've never turned away a stranger. I've opened my doors to everyone. If the very ground that I farm accuses me, if even the furrows fill with tears from my abuse, if I've ever raped the earth for my own profit or dispossessed its rightful owners, then curse it with thistles instead of wheat. Curse it with weeds instead of barley. In other words, righteousness for him is about compassion. And in the book of James in the New Testament, it tells you this is real religion. You want to know what real religion is? And this has been the heart of heart way from the beginning. The next passage of scripture, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Then say, real religion to God our Father is to meditate for 10 hours. You know? Real religion is you go to church every Sunday and you never miss. Even though that's a great idea. But that's not real religion. Real religion, you look after orphans. You care for widows. You keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You don't just care for your own interests, but also for the interests of other people. Compassion widens your circle of concern. One last story to wrap up, also from the Jewish tradition. It's an old story about the richest man in town who would go to temple every week, but he would constantly fall asleep. And so one day he was there in temple during the service. The rabbi was speaking and he falls asleep, but he, he kind of wakes up for a little bit, and he hears a verse. And it's from the book of Leviticus, where God commands the people of Israel to bring 12 loaves of bread and put it on the altar. And then he goes right back to sleep. So he wasn't really paying attention. He just kind of heard that in passing. 
When he wakes up after the service is over, he thought in his mind, God spoke to me in my dream and told me that I need to bring 12 loaves of bread and put it on this altar. He thought it was literally God speaking to him. And so next thing you know, he goes, he gets 12 loaves of bread, he brings it to the altar. He says, here's my offering to you, God. Well, a couple hours later, the poorest person in town who cleaned the temple came in. And he was praying, God, would you please just provide for me and my family? We need something to eat. Can you please just provide for us? Next thing you know, he walks by the altar. He sees 12 loaves of bread. So, oh, my God, God, answer my prayer. God, you're amazing. Thank you. And he took the bread. He brought it back to his family. They celebrated. They ate. This kept going for about 12 years. The rich man looks and he sees that the altar is empty. There's no more bread. He says, oh, my God, God ate the bread. God, you ate the bread. And so he brings back bread. And then the poor man comes and says, God, thank you. You're giving me bread. You're baking bread for me. So the rabbi would see this. He saw this happening for all these years. And then finally one day, like a good spiritual teacher, he just confuses them. And he goes up, he, he, he goes up to the rich man and the poor man. He brings them together. He says, guys, can you stop blaspheming God? They're like, what? He's, he says to the rich man, stop saying that God is eating your bread. God is not some physical being coming here eating your bread. And then he says to the poor man, stop saying that God is baking you bread. God is not coming here and literally putting bread on here. And so they, they're, they're confused. And the rich man says, well, should I just stop baking bread for God? And the poor man says, should I stop asking God to bake bread for me? And the rabbi says, no. He says, look at your hands. Look at your hands. He looks at the rich man and he says, yours are the hands of God bringing food to the poor. And he looks at the poor man and says, yours are the hands of God, receiving food from the rich. In other words, God is eating the bread. God is baking the bread. And he's doing it through you. Yours are the hands of God. Yours are the hands of God. And so I will leave you with one last quote from St. Teresa of Avila, a beautiful uh, mystic in the Catholic Church. She says, Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which to look out Christ's compassion to the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless others now. Amen. Let's pray. God, today we will be your hands and we will be your feet. Mobilize us to show compassion to people in our lives. To understand that oftentimes we're just acting out of pain. Help us to remember our own baggage when we're dealing with other people's stuff. So that we can show them compassion. And Lord, we pray that you would help to widen our circle of concern. So that we can put other people's interests in front of our own. It was Christ who said that when we do it for the least of these, we're doing it for him. May we learn to see the face of God in the poor. May we learn to see the face of God in the marginalized. May we learn to see the face of God in those who have been excluded and rejected by society. May we be your hands and feet today and every day. Amen.
All right, guys. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. Have a great week. Love you. See you next Sunday.